This is the Affirm America podcast, where we stand up and speak out affirming American excellence. Coming to you deep in the heart of the Midwest, located in an undisclosed log cabin on the outskirts of town, your host, Marquis Vandemark. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Affirm America podcast on this Tuesday. December the 27th, 2022. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Time with your family. Praising Jesus' birth. Spending time relaxing and enjoying a few days off. We got hammered with a big snowstorm over the week. It's been uh, sub-zero. We still got snow deep on the ground. We're glad you're here today on the Affirm America podcast, where it's nice and warm and toasty inside. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Marquise Bandemark. The new year's coming right around the corner. So we want to change things up a little bit today, rather than just talk about the top five headlines on the Affirm America podcast. Thought we'd take a little journey throughout the year and run some highlight reels from uh, some of our experiences at CPAC, some other interviews that we had throughout this year, just to go back and take a look at what's happened. It's been an extraordinary year. We've had the elections. We've had a number of ups and downs in politics as we approach the end of 2022 and come into the new year, 2023. I thought we'd take a little trip back and just uh, give you some clips of some of the things that happened over the last 12 months. So let's start off with uh, CPAC in my uh, interview with Trevor Loudon. And let's uh, listen to what uh, Trevor had to say about his life and the things that he's doing and his concerns for America as he's been out educating the general public about Marxism and communism. So let's take a listen right now to Trevor Loudon's interview. The unions and the unions make it Democrat policy. So while Obama was in power, virtually everything that he was doing was, came from the Communist Party, right straight from the Communist Party, and then from China, from, from whatever. And so um, that's my bet. I started studying this field. I, I, I wrote books on it. I made video, DVDs on it. I, I, I was, uh, Glenn Beck used a lot of my information in his early chalkboards. And I started getting invited to American conferences. Then I get invited to 10 more conferences and 20 more conferences to the point I live here full time now. So my field is investigating Marxism, the Marxist influence in Congress, in the Senate, in education, in, in the unions, and now even in the churches. Yeah, you know, there seems to be like a full frontal attack that I've noticed over the last few years like I've never seen before. All this uh, critical race theory now being taught in our K-12 through classes, the corporations' attitudes of wokeness and the cancel culture and the big tech. I mean, what, what the heck is going on here in America now? What, what, what's, what's this all about? Well, we are in a revolution. We are in a communist revolution. And it may succeed, it may fail. That depends on us. But that's what we're in. Now, this has been a hundred years in the making. 
You know, it's the, 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 the communist movement, which is always aimed for world domination, recognized very early on that America was the main impediment. A free, constitutional, strong America would always stop the communist world revolution. So they started infiltrating this country in the 1920s. They started infiltrating the churches in the 1920s. The first communist front was the Methodist Committee for Social Action. So Methodist Federation for Social Action, sorry. So, you know, the stories we used to hear about McCarthyism in the 50s, how we'd investigate communists, they were, they were absolutely right. They were, the communists ran the Roosevelt administration by that point. They set up the United Nations, the World Bank, a lot of the social programs. But it didn't go away then. It was in the in the in the uh, it was in the uh, Johnson administration too. The Great Society, the massive expansion of welfare in this country, but and it was heavy in the Vietnam War era, obviously. But we all thought it went away, or well, some of us did, when 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 the Soviet Union so-called collapsed in the 1990s. But well, we're seeing that Putin is bringing that back, right? And, you know, he, he is not he is working with China now for world domination. This is not just the Ukraine. Yep. They want to change the whole world balance of power in favor of them. But anyway, you know, here's my analogy. So the, the communists the, the, the communists ran out of the Soviet Union. So that was a center of world communism. And you compare it to a cancer. So you cut 90% of a cancer out of your body, but you leave 10% in then you stop all treatment for 30 years. What is your body going to look like? It's going to metastasize everywhere. Now we have communism in the universities. We have communism in the churches. The unions are controlled by communists. Big tech is controlled by communists. Uh, it's in the big big corporations, the woke corporations. That's, that's Marxism. It's in the Democratic Party. It's in elements of the Republican Party. It's all through our society. But the only big institution that wasn't contaminated were the evangelical churches and the Baptists. But so uh, an effort was made starting about 15 years ago to bring wokeness, to bring Marxism into the evangelicals and the Baptists. They were the last dominoes to fall. If this, if that is, if this program is successful and we lose the churches, we lose this country and we have a revolution that we will never get rid of in a thousand years. Okay, so that was my interview with Trevor Loudon at CPAC earlier this year. And uh, I'm going to put a link to that episode in the description box. So if you want to go back and listen to the entire interview, it's very enlightening. Also, you want to get a copy of his video, The Enemies Within the Church, explains how Marxism has invaded the evangelicals. And that's what you're seeing now with all this wokeism and LGBTQ uh, information that you see now in the churches. So take a look at uh, that episode, and I think you'll find there's some very good information there. All right, next up, we're going to go back and revisit the rally, the Ukraine rally in central Ohio, uh, right when Putin had begun his invasion of Ukraine, and they had a rally here in central Ohio downtown, and I got a chance to interview some of the Ukrainians and what they were experiencing. I think we'll, we'll give you a little taste of what the people in Ukraine are going through during this invasion. So let's listen to that right now. Okay, we're here with the Affirm America podcast down here in Columbus, Ohio. 
There's a rally going on here. I'm with uh, one of the supporters here. What's your name, dear? My name is Olina, and I'm American citizen. I'm living in the U.S. for 20 years. And uh, my family, my whole family, my two parents, who is almost 90 years old, and my husband's family, his father, his brother, his family, it's in Mariupol, Ukraine. We don't have any connection to them, any news from them for already more than a week. We stopped talking like on March 2nd. I am, every day I'm thinking that maybe tomorrow will be a little better, but at the morning I check the news and I see that it's getting worse and worse and worse in Mariupol, Ukraine. The, uh, the city is practically surrounded by Russians and today we got a news that some Russian troops are already in the city, destroying city. Over the last 24 hours, we counted 22 bombings of the civilian buildings. 22 bombings. When I see photo from uh, citizens of Ukraine where they're posting in chats trying to find their families, I recognize vividly every building there and practically no building got undestroyed. I'm not talking even about people. They're all hiding in the basements trying to survive. And uh, because Mariupol is under blockade, there is no food no electricity, no water, nothing. They are, it's just humanitarian catastrophe. And picturing my parents who is 90s, who survived COVID in November, I'm so blessed that I went there and I saved them. They survived and right now they, I don't know if they, they will survive this. And it's just breaking my heart. Last week when I saw these horrible pictures, uh, bombing maternity union unit in Mariupol. It's just across of the street from my husband building. It's just across. I just see it, and I will tell you more. My son was born in this unit 24 years ago, and it just it just makes me hopeless. I just don't know what to do. The hopelessness tears my heart most of all. I cannot help. Of course, we are sending money to funds every day. This is the only thing which keeps me sane because it's just kind of, it's, it's my sleeping pill, not knowing that I'm helping, but there is nothing I can do. And it seems like the whole world just has to see and listen to what I'm saying because it's gonna be next to other countries. Putin will not stop, he's, he's a maniac. And destroying the cities, civilians and kids you know how many people already died over the last week? 2,187. I just checked last hour. 2,187 civilians and kids and women and elderly people. And we need to do something. We need to raise awareness and stop this aggression because the weakness the world is demonstrating right now, it doesn't help. It just makes him stronger. We need to stop him somewhere. And my Mariupol is just standing as hard as it's possible, but I just, I just don't know what to do. So please, please spread awareness, send help, and thank you. Okay, so that was uh, the rally in central Ohio for Ukraine. As you can tell by the interview there, it was very heart-wrenching what the people are going through and their families that were... Uh, left behind in Ukraine under Putin's invasion. It was a horrible, horrible situation.
Okay, next up is uh, an interview I had with Dr. Peter McCullough down at CPAC. Dr. Peter McCullough has been in the news for his stance on uh, the vaccination. He's a a world-renowned cardiologist and has been outspoken about the vaccines and, and how they have caused lots of health issues with those that have been vaccinated. And as the Twitter files have come out, we've realized that a lot of these doctors were censored by the social media, mis- uh, labeled as misinformation. And yet now the facts are coming out that there have been uh, much health damage as a result of the vaccinations. It's not conspiracy theories or, or whatever you want to call it, but the factual information is now being made available. So this is just a short interview. I caught him as he was finishing one interview, and we sat down together, and I'll give you a little taste of our conversation with Dr. Peter McCullough. Okay, we're here at CPAC with Dr. McCullough, who gave an excellent speech last night at the uh, second day of CPAC. I'm here with him today. Welcome, uh, Dr. McCullough. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is my first meeting. I've never been to a political action committee meeting or been to a political meeting of any type, let alone been on stage as a practicing doctor addressing such a large and charged audience. What did you think about it? What was your experience? It was a real high. I I have to tell you, I had seven minutes and I learned uh, in my first Senate testimony with Senator Ron Johnson, if you have something important to say, keep it short. And it's true, when my first Senate testimony, I had five minutes to make my case. Yesterday, seven minutes. And what I told America was that, you know, as a doctor and as a citizen, I have not been satisfied with what I've seen in terms of our public health agency and governmental response to the pandemic. And I think there have been many shortcomings. There clearly have been advancements. And I wanted America to hear a balanced view on my interpretation of the pandemic along four major points and the path forward. So where are we right now in the, the virus, the, the, the COVID virus? Where, where are we? Is this thing over? Are we concerned about a, uh, a mutation? I mean, what, what do American people got to be concerned about today? The curtains are clearly closing. And what America doesn't know is this the end of Act Two, and are we going on to Act Three, or is this the is this the end? Is there going to be an encore? And we've just come down off the Omicron outbreak. The Omicron outbreak lasted about two months. It was the highest of all the outbreak epidemiologic curves, five to ten times bigger than Alpha or Delta. It Omicron was the most frequently and widely mutated form of the spike protein and uh, overall changed virus itself. Uh, It replicated 70 times faster than Delta in the nasopharynx. Uh, The mutations in the spike protein did not allow it to invade the body nearly as much as the uh, previous variants. And so people uh, had an experience with a very contagious illness. We had more Americans sick at the same time than any other period of time. It broke through natural immunity, so someone who had previously had a virus could have it again. Although protection of natural immunity against Omicron in a New England Journal of Medicine paper by a group from Qatar estimated at 60% protection of prior immunity, it clearly broke through vaccine immunity. 
and uh, in all the reports in the United States and outside the United States, the majority of people who had Omicron were fully vaccinated. But the important point was rates of hospitalization and death were low. Some studies, the composites were less than 1%. Wonderful. That meant it was a home problem. And number two, now we're down off this curve. We are seeing fewer and fewer cases. The deaths that have occurred in the last two months have largely, I think, been residual Delta infection deaths. We'll never know unless there's uh, sequencing. And so the, the way this virus has worked is that if we're going to have another outbreak, it's going to become apparent quickly. And if we see quiescence and lower numbers of cases in the face of progressive reopening, and we've seen uh, a, a dropping of mandates and a dropping of restrictions across the globe, we could be towards the end of a long, hard two years. All right, there's a little taste of uh, my interview with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Again, I'll post all these uh, episodes in my description box if you want to go back and listen to the full interview. But Dr. Peter McCullough has been on the forefront with the vaccines, and he has uh, been an outspoken uh, cardiologist speaking about the best interests of the American people and their health situation. Okay, next up is my interview with a Polish freedom fighter. Let's listen to a little bit of his experience his name is Zygmunt Stawinski. So here's a little taste of that interview down at CPAC. Here we are at uh, CPAC with, uh, tell us your name. Uh, my name is Zygmunt Stawinski. And uh, Zygmunt, is that right? Uh, tell us a little bit about your story here. Uh, we were listening to what you were just talking about, Poland. Tell us uh, why you're here and what your background is. Well, you know, back in 1980, I was one of the organizers of the anti-communist strikes in Poland. Then I became one of the top leaders of Solidarity Movement. I was a delegate to the First National Congress of Solidarity. I was a member of the Presidium of the Congress. And also I was running the energy section of Solidarity for Southwestern Poland with about 10,000 members. And I was like 26 years old. I was a young guy young kid, young electrical engineer, three years out of college. So there was a huge responsibility. Then in, uh, in, the fall of, in December of 1981, the communists were fed up with our movement, which was 10 million members strong. And the communists, uh, at the direction of the Soviets, decided to impose a martial law. So they did. They shut down all the media, all the telephones and everything. They put tanks on the streets and they arrested the first night a top 1,000 leaders of solidarity. I was one of them. So I ended up in a communist prison. They called it an internment camp, but it was a really an old German prison for about six months. And then after six months, they told us that we either uh, leave Poland with a one-way passport without the right to return, or they can keep us for as long as they want to because we were not accused of anything. We were not charged with anything. So at that point, I didn't want to leave. Then they told me that if I don't leave, they are going to assassinate my mom. And I was the only child. My father you know, passed away. I was the only protector of my mom. So at that point, I decided to take my one-way passport, and I came into the United States to New York, where I organized strong support for solidarity, fundraising, PR work. I was a public speaker for Amnesty International, talking about political prisoners and so forth. And I continued that until 1989, when Poland had its own free elections. And at that point, I uh, you know, started my own engineering company, which, you know, which I still own. 
So tell me, what's, uh, what's your thoughts with uh, what's happening now in Ukraine and uh, the invasion by Putin and whether he's going to stop at Ukraine and maybe move uh, into Eastern Europe? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'll go you know, back in time when the, the gas was at $100 a barrel. Putin you know, raised so much money that he tried to invade Georgia. And if it wasn't for the uh, then Polish president Lech Kaczynski, who went to Georgia with other leaders of the uh, uh, European countries and opposed Putin, you know, then Putin was uh, uh, had no choice but you know to to, uh, to back off from Georgia. And uh, at that point, the Polish president Lech Kaczynski, whom I knew, he says that if it's now Georgia, then next would be U Ukraine and afterwards might be the Baltic states or even Poland. Uh, three, three years later, he was assassinated by Putin's goons, where his plane, the Polish Air Force One, was shut down, or actually there were bombs on a plane in uh, 2010, and the Polish president and the whole Polish delegation, including top generals, and Poland is a member of NATO, so they were top commanders of NATO, they all died in that plane crash. Uh, and uh, to this day, the Russians didn't release the black boxes, they didn't release the, uh, the actual wreckage, and they never allowed an independent uh, investigation of that so-called plane crash, which they blame on the pilot's error. But the Polish committees very clearly established that there were multiple bombs placed on a, on a plane and the plane exploded and shattered into pieces before even hitting the ground. Um, so. Back then, in 2010, we knew that something is coming. Then, again, you know, we had uh, President Obama. In his first term, at the end of his first term, he had a, a chat with Medvedev, who was then the uh, uh, president of Russia, because they were switching roles with Putin, and Putin was prime minister at that point. And uh, Obama told Medvedev, listen, in my second term, I'll have more flexibility. And he spoke to a live mic, which he didn't know about. And Medvedev told, OK, I'm going to relate this message to Putin. Sure enough, Obama won his second term and put Putin took, took Crimea, right? And again, Putin took Crimea at the moment when the gas prices went over $100 a barrel, OK? So subsequently, you know, when Trump, you know, got into power and created a energy independence for America, and the oil prices went down to $35, $40 a barrel, Russians didn't have the revenues to start another war. Unfortunately, after you know, the fixed election, uh, Biden got into the White House, he stopped the, uh, the pipeline, the Nord Stream pipeline, stopped you know, fracking on federal land, stopped, you know, froze all the new permits for fracking or for any oil exploration in Alaska, and suddenly, you know, our gas went from $2 a gallon to $4 a gallon. And uh, the oil ended up going, you know, to, you know, $70, $80 a barrel. At that point, again, Putin started making a ton of money because that's all they export, you know, oil and gas. And he raised enough revenues to start the war and to invade Ukraine. And as I said, you know, elections have consequences. And the, uh, the dead people... Sorry. Oh. And um, the bottom line is that those hundreds, the hundreds of dead people in Ukraine are, are a direct outcome of the U.S. elections.
Okay, so that's a little taste of the Freedom Fighter, Polish Freedom Fighter, Zygmunt. And I'm not sure about how to pronounce his last name. It's uh, Stavinsky, I think is the way it, it reads, but uh, I think he pronounced it a little bit different. But uh, you can see uh, he's been in the fight for many years. We understand how communism works in these countries. This is what, this is what socialism and this is what communism does. They're, these are totalitarians. They, they kill people. They break things. They don't get their way to control the people. This is what uh, Trevor Loudon's talking about. And these are the things that uh, we have to be concerned about here in America because we're beginning to see more and more trends towards Marxist ideologies. As uh, Trevor pointed out, and this is not just his point of view, but many, many other people that are aware of what's going on with socialism and Marxism uh, happening within our schools and the corporations with the wokeness and the cancel culture and all the transgenderism. If you uh, go and listen to the podcast on uh, from Thomas Cromwell, The Triumph of Good, The End of Marxism, Cain Abel and the End of Marxism, it gets into much detail about Marxism, its roots and its goals and how it's been infiltrating the U.S. for since the 1950s. So this is now starting to bear fruit. All right, next up is my conversation with Lily Tang Williams. She was running for Congress, and I think you'll find it to be very interesting. She comes from a Chinese background. She talks a little bit about the CCP, the Communist Party, and some of their tactics also as well. So here's a little snippet of her conversation. Lily Tang Williams and Mr. Jim Boothsby. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, CPAC. What's been your experience here this year? You know what? This is my first time. Really? Since I become a U.S. citizen. And I always watch it on TV. But this time I'm personally here and I'm just surprised. I run into so many friends like Jim. And it, there's a sense of excitement, fun to be with people like-minded and who are all American patriots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And lots of Chinese Americans yes. follow me. Like Lily, Lily is like, they just grab me. It's like, a, do we meet? No, we follow you. We watch you on radios. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> it's great. We had a big uh, aging American event on the Thursday night. There were about 50, 50 aging immigrants from Vietnam, from China. We all got together and talked about how to activate, get involved in our new country and to defend our American dream. And there was this Vietnamese uh, talking with passion, with his strong accent, it was very touching actually, and, and it was it was on my social media, Lady for Congress Facebook page. I I shared it. It was great. There was like over twenty Chinese Americans here. Yeah. So, uh, who's been your best speaker so far? Uh, I like uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. I always like uh, and Larry Oders also, and uh, I probably missed some very good ones. You know that. Uh, Oh, I could not get into uh, the room when Trump was speaking <laughs> because oh, no. the security cut out yeah. 30 minutes yeah. before. I, I did not know that. But I met President Trump uh, in 2020 when he came to New Hampshire, two rallies. Yeah, second rally, I was only 10 feet away from him. So I saw him uh, dancing with, uh, you know, uh, y, y, w, um, like YMCA. YMCA. YMCA, yes, that was the music. Trump's a great dancer, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, you mean he's like I, I think he just was not really career politician, so he's kind of you know, you know, very like a just populist president. Well, it's like packed, lots of people there. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you uh, where you came from, and why you're running for uh, you're running for Congress. Is that right? Yes, 
Um, I, I, I was born and grew up in mainland China. I grew, I grew up under Mao's um, Cultural Revolution. Um, so when he died, I was 12 years old. Then we went through another a few years of seems old, like uh, the, 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 you know, the industrialization, the food rationing coupons, just very poor, except now we had, a, you know, um, universities reopened. So I could have my new dream to go search for truth and go to the best university possible because I was born to in literally working workers' family in Chengdu, in Sichuan province. Uh, and so I, I was so lost when he died because uh, I grew up, thought he was God. And we were chanting, Long live Chiang Mao every day, 10,000 years, double 10,000 years, another 10,000 years. It's like, how did he die, right? Okay, I realized he was human. So <laughs> when he died, I was 12 years old. I started to ask a question, who lied to me and who lied to my entire generation? So I studied very hard, went to college and studied law in Shanghai, and uh, I experienced another period of depression. When I was in law school, they told me law was not for justice. Law was a tool for the party to use to govern the masses, Soviet Union model. So I was a rebellious changer there. After that, it's like I graduated, I become faculty member. I still wanted to transform China into a society, rule of law. But I realized when I become faculty member, when I was just uh, 21 years old, I could not do that because I faced the reality of censorship and PC, one-party dictatorship. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be happy in this country. I'm still very young. I want to come to another country called America, my promised land, because I learned about the Declaration of Independence when I was a third year in college. American exchange student told me about America, about you know the the all men are created equal, then separation of powers and, and all the bill of rights. My light bulbs came on. I could not turn it off. So when I would think about maybe I should flee China, I had to plan that carefully. I need the permission to quit my job. I need the permission to go apply for a passport. All that I had to plan for two years and, and you know, basically how to get a permission to leave after I got accepted by University of Texas at Austin for a graduate study. And when I arrived in this country in 1988, May 11th, it was the happiest day of my life. You're running for Congress. What state? New Hampshire, leave free or die state. Oh, very good. Well, that's uh, something Jim Boothsby knows a little bit about. He's uh, He grew up in uh, Maine, but... Uh, that's uh, close. That's a close place. Running for Congress, that's a big step. What, uh, what do you think you can do in, for New Hampshire with, uh, with your understanding and your background coming from a Chinese communist nation? How can, how can you help the people of New Hampshire? What's, what's, why you? Well, I, I discovered by speaking around for the past five, six years, uh, lots of Americans, even conservatives, and especially our youth, do not understand the China do not know the horrors of Mao's regime and Cultural Revolution, how many people died. So I, I call this my new American Cultural Revolution going on right now because I saw Mao's Cultural Revolution 12 tactics I, he used. I summarized based on personal experience that the people here don't know, they don't recognize it. And, 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 uh, but I know, I saw the writings on the wall I saw the rise of authoritarianism. 
I saw the division of society, and, and I saw this uh, cancel culture censorship, and uh, politicalize everything. I'm, I'm scared. I'm terrified. Mm. The reason I'm running is because I I fear this country I love is becoming the country I left. And I don't want that to happen here. I have three children. I'm happily married for 31 years. Wonderful three children born in this great country. And I feel it's my duty to run, to get my messages on national TVs, and, and to speak the truth to all the powers that we don't want to go down that path of totalitarianism, communism, or you call democratic socialism, whatever our young yeah. people call it. But it's all just very terrifying to me. So I feel like it's my duty to do this. So, um, gosh, that's a that's a big task to, to confront. It just seems like it's uh, it's overwhelming. It seems we're we're getting hit on all different fronts with the, uh, the censorship on social media. Uh, the mainstream media is not not uh, reporting the accurate news. We have the corporations that are in bed with China. We have this woke critical race theory that's being propagated in the K through 12 now. I mean, it seems like we're being attacked on all fronts. I mean, what, what can the American people do? Well, I think first of all, they need to be really educated. I have been telling people um, they've, they, you know, the propaganda machine don't underestimate that. I urge people to search truth on their own. Just, just get out of your comfort zone, watch something different every week. And if somebody gets censored because they're asking questions, it's terribly wrong. And uh, it's like uh, maybe some propaganda lies are not working, so they want to cut other people's tongues out. <laughs> That's how I call it. But uh, the number two rules of propaganda in China yeah. is the party is always right. Don't ever challenge that, the ruling party. And the number two, the media are controlled by the party. And they repeat the same lies every day by lots of people at the same time. Over a long time of period, they become the truth. Okay, there's a little bit of uh, Lily Tang Williams and her viewpoint on uh, the CCP and propaganda and how communism works in, in China and how it is kind of resembling what's going on here in the U.S. with the uh, Twitter files now that are revealing how much the government was involved in censoring our free speech, our First Amendment rights. So if you think this is some conspiracy theory, and now that the facts are coming out and the light's being shown to be true that the CIA, the FBI, the Biden administration, Twitter, everything has been censored mis as misinformation. Dr. McCullough and uh, some of the doctors that were trying to get the message out about alternative methods to fight against the virus like ivermectin and things that uh, were talked about and they were shut off free speech was shut down censorship very much like ccp very much like russia control of the media thank god we still have our free speech it hasn't been removed we can talk freely right here on a podcast there's alternative media sources where you can get information and so but the alarm bells are going off. Lily Tang Williams is sounding the alarm. And the American people, we need to wake up. And as we finish up the year 2022 and the new Congress takes over in 2023, we hope that they can really dig deep and uh, have some committee hearings with uh, Jim Jordan from Ohio and Josh Hawley. These freedom fighters, they can get in there and really try to get to the bottom of 
what's going on with censorship. And it happened on multiple, multiple fronts. The Russia hoax against the president. We don't really know how deep that goes. The CIA was involved in censoring political speech on social platforms. And we're finding out that it was just Twitter. It was across all social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and the other ones that are the major sources of information uh, in the public square. All right, so that's our, uh, our podcast for this last week of 2022. We're going to take a few days off, and we'll see you back here in the new year in 2023. And again, I'll post uh, all these episodes in my description box if you want to go back and listen to their full length, freshen up on some of the information that we brought you in this past year. So again, thanks for joining us on the Affirm America podcast. I'm your host, Marquise Vandermark. God bless everybody. Happy New Year to you all, and we'll see you in the new year. Take care. See you then. This is the Affirm America podcast with your host, Marquis Vandemark. And let's never forget, America is great, and we affirm it.